Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson. Joining me in a bit will be Candice Lepage. Uh, fresh off our 200th episode last week. We hope you like that. Uh, we hope you stick around for the next 200 starting today with, uh, <laughs> appropriately enough, a movie about The Walking Dead. Uh, well, we'll see how all that turns out in a sec. And Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new zombie heist movie, Army of the Dead, which you can now stream on the Netflix. So picking up where we left off uh, a couple of weeks ago with our summer movie review series. Uh, It's a very nice summer day as I'm recording today, but... Leaving that aside, we return to the summer of 1986. Well, we don't return to the summer of 1986, but we left off at the summer of 1985, so we arrive at the summer of 1996. So we start off with uh, the first selection, which came out on May 9th, which is Short Circuit. Um, it's one of a number of movies this uh, from, from this year that were, that were released over the summer, anyway, that are sort of kind of lighthearted, adventurous, uh, kind of borderline science fiction affairs, but also featuring nefarious government types uh, that, are, that are up to no good, which is kind of an undercurrent in the 80s, because you have, on the one hand, you have super jingoistic, um, ultra-patriotic things like the Rambo sequels, Rocky IV, the Chuck Norris movies, but then you have this undercurrent of leftover stuff, leftover baggage from the 70s, you still can't trust the government. Even though, you know, it's the Cold War is ratcheting up and the government wants you to trust them again, the movies, um, many, many movies are still saying, no, wait, hold on, you really can't trust the government. (laughs) And so, um, Short Circuit is like that. I mean, it's essentially about this robot, Johnny Five, who gains sentience um, and, you know, discovers the the fun and the intricacies and the entertainment of the human world, but uh, because he is a government robot, he cannot be left alone, and so there's kind of a bit of a chase movie portion of this, and uh, unfortunately, I think Short Circuit is, is mostly uh, remembered for Fisher Stevens doing brownface, which uh, is not great. The next week after that, May 16th, we get Top Gun. Speaking of jingoism, uh, is it Tony Scott's masterpiece? Question mark. Um, it is certainly the movie that made Tom Cruise a star. And uh, I'm not sure what else you can say about that, but I didn't need a sequel, which is going to be, what, 35 years after the fact? So yeah, the sequel is still going to come out sometime later this year. It looks good, but... Um, I can't remember the name of the man who directed, but he he also directed Tron Legacy and Oblivion, and he has not really set himself up as a a filmmaker that really takes the human element into account. He is uh, very much focused on the stunts and the the effects, and we'll see how that goes in the case of Top Gun because I don't really think that's what Top Gun is certainly remembered for the action, but there there's a very there's a sort of reality to the action in, in Top Gun. 
that uh, we'll have to see if that carries over into the Top Gun sequel. On May 23rd, we get Cobra, which is not G.I. Joe related, but it is uh, this cheesy, schlocky, um, Stallone, just extra cheesy Stallone <laughs> at the peak of the, of his 80s power. But you also get like really interesting character actors in it as well. Like Brian Thompson plays the bad guy. Uh, Andy Robinson plays uh, the, the police officer who is, I think, Cobra's supervisor. His much put-upon supervisor. Uh, also that week, you get Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, which... Um, in which the the family from the first Poltergeist is doubly cursed because even though they've moved away, far away to Arizona from where the first film is set, the the ghostly evil still follows them. And and this is kind of where the <laughs> um the curse of Poltergeist is further cemented because Julian Beck, who plays the ghost of this apocalyptic preacher who died like a hundred years earlier, he he himself died, I think while the movie was still in production. It could have been shortly after the movie was in production. I'd have to look that up. But because he died in the course of the making of Poltergeist, of, of a Poltergeist movie, he is uh, further proof of the Poltergeist curse. On June 6th, we get uh, Triple Bill. We get Arnold Schwarzenegger's own entry into like the cheesy, campy action genre with Rod Deal. We get My Little Pony the Movie, which uh, was the first of two of these uh, trying to take these animated series that were big in the 80s based on toy lines and trying to take them to the next level by giving them their own movies, um, courtesy of Sunbow Animation and Dino De Laurentiis, who, uh, through his studio, um, My Little Pony the movie was not a particularly popular uh and the whole idea of these like big screen um, animated movies based on toys sort of took another hit later in the summer when Transformers the movie came, comes out and also basically bombs. Um, the other one from June 6th weekend is Space Camp, which interestingly there was a lot of controversy at the time about Space Camp because it came out just a few months after the Challenger explosion. Uh, that killed that crew. Uh, it was a big national tragedy in the U.S. in 1986, and some people felt that uh, Space Camp was kind of exploitative of that tragedy, this uh, tale of, of young people at Space Camp and interested in space. And um, I can un certainly understand where that comes from, but on the other hand, uh, even Leah Thompson, who starred in the film, remarks that... Um, a lot of people come up to her and say that one of the reasons they got into science or STEM fields is because of Space Camp and and uh, also her role in Space Camp as a as a young woman who is interested playing a young woman who is interested in the sciences. On June eleventh, we get Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the the completion of um, well, let's say John Hughes' movement in uh, the high school. Uh, comedy subgenre, uh, the kind of the the capper to his trilogy, which you know, uh, Sixteen Candles, uh, Breakfast Club, and Ferris Bueller. Although he also did at the same time writing some kind of wonderful and pretty in pink, and also directing Weird Science. But I guess because of the science fiction angle, it's not doesn't typically fit in with the trilogy. 
idea of 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 John Hughes's high school uh, directorial efforts. Uh, a couple of days after that, you get back to school. Slightly different school movie with Rodney Dangerfield, who has sort of like come back to prominence after Caddyshack, but um, back to school as a solo vehicle um, promoted uh, promoted Rodney Dangerfield to a, an even bigger uh, degree and uh, with an entirely new generation of fans because of Back to School, where he plays a, a, a business mogul who. Um, goes back to college to, uh, or goes to college for the first time actually to basically party and uh, have a good time after his uh, divorce. On June twentieth, we get the Karate Kid Part Two. Interestingly, John G. Avildsen came back for the Karate Kid Part Two. Did not come back for Rocky Two. Um, there may be more of a story there that I don't know about, but um, Rocky, uh, excuse me, Karate Kid Part Two is interesting because it does not go kind of the Rocky II route or the, the typical sequel route by having like a rematch between the villain, uh, the hero of the first film, the villain of the second film. It goes to Japan and deals with um, the complicated personal and family history of Mr. Miyagi and Daniel goes with him and, uh, well, let's just say hijinks ensue. And it doesn't necessarily come... I mean, it does come down to a fight, but it doesn't come down to the fight you expect, which is interesting. Uh, June 27th, you get Labyrinth. You get Jim Henson directing. You get Terry Jones of Monty Python fame doing the screenplay. And then it stars uh, David Bowie as the Goblin King. Uh, This is still a cult classic, still really well made, Um, still really enthralling. Uh, just great production design, great art design, great acting, um, great puppet characters. It's it's still a lot of fun, even all these years later. Uh, on July 2nd, uh, we get Big Trouble in Little China, which, again, is kind of one of these maybe problematic movies looking back in, back in retrospect. Uh, but it is kind of like the last great collaboration between John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. I don't think they worked again, uh, worked together again after that, which is a shame because that's also about the time John Carpenter also um, started to not turn out some not so great work, shall we say? Uh, the Great Mouse Detective also came out that weekend. It is the last of uh, an era of Disney, of sort of lesser than era. It was the last movie that came out right before the the, the Katzenberg resurgence at uh, Disney, the, the great renaissance that started basically with Oliver and Company, but then really takes off with The Little Mermaid. Um, but the last, uh, excuse me, The Great Mouse Detective um, was certainly more popular than the film that came out before that, which was The Black Cauldron, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I also wanted to note Psycho 3 came out this weekend too, and it is the best of the Psycho sequels. I recently got a chance to watch all the Psycho sequels, and Psycho 3 definitely stands out as the best. Uh, that's, I mean, that, that's cutting the bread really thin, but be that as it may. On July 18th, we get the release of Aliens. <laughs> Apropos, as you may uh, find out when we do the review in a couple of minutes. 
Um, but I mean, what is there left to say about Aliens? It is just like a really well-built action movie, not just because the action is good and the effects are good and Sigourney Weaver is good, of course, but I mean, just because from the secondary cast to like the tertiary cast, uh, this sort of the characters are built really, really well. Every almost every character in the film, like all the colonial marines, are given their sort of their own distinctive character and um, characterization, and the actors are are really good uh, working off each other as well. And uh, you really feel it when when um, the aliens strike and the Marines are killed off. Uh, you really feel like you're losing someone. I, I really feel like Aliens is a really strong lesson about how to build characters you care about, even when you intend to kill them off, I mean, as a director. On, on July 25th, we get uh, Maximum Overdrive, which is like Maximum Stephen King at his maximum coked up. I mean, he was being... He was being shifted 35 different ways. Um, you know, this is in the midst of... He he was writing the screenplays for so many of the adaptations of his work. This is him directing his own movie. The first and, I would imagine, only time he will direct uh, a movie. Uh, he does have Lissy's Story, which is based on his book coming up on Apple TV+. Plus. I think that launches this week. That is Stephen King writing the the screenplay again for one of his works but never again has he directed and i think it really shows um <laughs> in maximum overdrive just like how uh overextended he was at the time so we come to august 1st and here we have flight of the navigator which again gets into this theme of government bad kids caught in the middle of extraordinary circumstances and and government up to ill will um, basically, it's a kid who goes, is basically alien abducted. He comes back eight years later, um, having never grown in that time because of time dilation and relativity and all that. And he becomes a, a kind of pawn of the government and not so hilarious. I mean, this is also like a surprisingly dark movie because at the end, like the kid has to decide, like, does he go back to eight years in the past, which is a trip that might kill him, which is why um, the alien ship dropped him off in the quote-unquote present that the film takes place in. So, I mean, there's some dark stuff in some of these kids' movies. Make no mistake. Uh, on this weekend, Friday the 13th, Part 6, Part six Jason Lives, uh, came out. That is the, the film that brought Jason back proper, famously in... Uh, Friday the 13th Part 5, which comes after Friday the 13th Part 4, which was the one where Jason was quote-unquote killed, because he was basically killed to begin with. But he was killed, and uh, in, in Part 5 it was a copycat, but Part 6 brings Jason back proper. You also get Howard the Duck that weekend. On August the 8th, you got She's Gotta Have It, which is Spike Lee's very first movie, and as well as Transformers the movie. On August the 15th, you get The Fly, and Manhunter, which is the first ever adaptation of a book featuring the Hannibal Lecter character. On August 22nd, you get Stand By Me and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. And then on August the 30th, you get Shanghai Surprise, which is Madonna's third movie. But it's the one where she met Sean Penn. And there's a wonderful backstory about the explosive relationship between those two kids back in the 80s. Uh, that we don't have time to get into because it is uh, 
time is running out for us to get into uh, the movie review of the week, which is Army of the Dead. And yes, uh, one of the movies I just mentioned will factor pretty heavily into how this movie anyway, plays out. In the meantime, uh, we're going to take a bit of a break and play a bit of music, which will sound oddly familiar, but features uh, a great cover of the song, which you will instantaneously recognize. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. Somewhere in the darkness, the gambler, he broke even. But in his final words, I found an ace that I could keep. You gotta know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. You don't ever count your money. While you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing is done. You gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. You don't ever count your money while you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing is done. You gotta know when to hold them. Are putting together a crew for a job. Yeah, what does it pay? Well, it pans out. You make two million dollars for one day's work. Two million dollars. But that's my share. That's just for me. Two million dollars if it pans out. Hundred percent. I'm in. Yeah. You don't want to know, you know, the risks or why would I want to know the risks? Two million dollars. It's a lot of cash. Listen, I hate my life so deeply. If I had $2 million, my life would change drastically. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. You sure you don't want to know? Uh, I bet it has something to do with a helicopter. Yeah. I'm the helicopter guy. Yeah. Yeah. Where do I sign? And that was a clip from Army of the Dead. It's the new film from Zack Snyder, and it stars Dave Bautista, Ella Purnell, Omari Hardwick, Anna De La Guerra, Hiroyuki Sanada, Taken Ataro, and Garrett Dillahunt. All right, so I am now being joined on the line by Candace Lepage, fresh off episode 200 just one week ago. Candace, how are you in the, the week since we spoke last? Great. I feel a whole episode older. We have 201. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you think you feel 201, I've been on, on all 201 episodes, and I... Uh... I mean, and then there's like 300 some odd episodes of the Politicast and 300 some odd episodes of Open Sources. So I'm like a thousand years old. So sure. That. Yes. Yes. World's tiniest violin and all that. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, speaking of tiny violins, uh, we're here to review Army of the Dead. And uh, this is a, a, as, as much a Candace pick as I could uh, have reverse engineered in a lab so candace what did you think of army of the dead <laughs> yeah i i mean my turn came up and i was like look at that calendar that aligns perfectly i don't even have to like pretend to look for another movie it's clearly going to be army of the dead this week <laughs> um yeah and you know it it's also funny because people hear me complain so much about the snyderverse uh dceu and yet i'm like oh snyder zombie film so it's not the man i hate it's just sometimes his vision 
Mm-hmm. His vision when it comes to superheroes, uh, bleak, dark, not what I want. His vision when it comes to zombie movies, bleak, dark, exactly what I want. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just got to play in the right playground. So uh, the the zombie world is very much Zack Snyder's playground. It's nice to see him return to it. Dawn of the Dead, um, you know, for a very long time was probably the the best modern zombie film um, in in ages. Until I'd say a couple a couple other ones have come out, and it's it's maybe dropped down, but it's still in the top five, I'd say, of of zombie films. Um, so, uh, yeah, of course, Army of the Dead, I was excited. I didn't watch the, I had never seen the trailer or anything. I was just like, it's Army of the Dead. And then after I chose it, I thought, well, maybe I should at least see the trailer, make sure it's not going to be full of all that <laughs> DCEU Snyder stuff I hate. Uh, and it was not, uh, which was good. What I liked about it is that, um, you know, uh, I've talked about Blood Quantum a lot and about how... Um, it's an interesting take on a zombie film. And I seem to remember, you know, when, when we reviewed it, you talked about how, you know, you thought there was nothing new to say in the zombie universe, but yet Blood Quantum managed to to really come out with something um, unique and interesting. Mm-hmm. I won't say that that was achieved with Army of the Dead. No, however, neither will I. <laughs> however, it was nice to see. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, this is kind of like a heist film set in a zombie universe. Okay. Interesting. Well, you know, we're trying something different as opposed to often with zombie films, it's the um, beginning of the outbreak that we see. That's kind of the standard over and over again, though, if you follow kind of the Romero zombie verse, it it seems to uh, evolve uh, constantly as we move forward in time. But yeah, I was I was it was nice to know that, okay, this isn't going to be yet another sort of zombie outbreak. This is after the outbreak has happened. Uh, as it turns out in the film, it wasn't terribly long after the outbreak had happened. So, you know, I felt a, a little bit uh, misdirected, but that's what trailers are for, right? Misdirect <laughs> you to get you to watch the film. Oh, it's weird, though, because isn't it... Uh, I think there's a one point they said it, Vegas had been, like, walled off for years, that they were... I'd been trying to figure out what to do about Las Vegas for years. I could have. Yeah, but I think, oh, maybe it was six years later, not six months later. That that could be. I just remember the sort of, because we get at the very beginning, there is sort of during yeah. the uh, the credits and, and stuff, which was sort of great. And I kind of liked the idea of like, let's just set up the entire, like, this is this is the zombie outbreak as it happens in the first opening in the credit done move on so uh it might have said six years rather than six months that probably mm-hmm. makes more sense but still mm. well i mean i mean either way it doesn't matter it, it <laughs> uh i have so many thoughts about army of the dead and not all of them are good it uh as you said this proves that uh maybe blood quantum accepted there is nothing new to be said about the zombie genre um, Zack Snyder, I, I think in that this is probably more better his, this is more his wheelhouse in terms of, um, you know, falling into his worldview, but it does fall into all of his worst tendencies. Like this movie is two and a half hours long and I, and I timed it. The team doesn't land in Vegas until like an hour in. And I'm just like, 
no, this is unacceptable. It, you know, this is a, this is a heist movie, and the way the heist is, you set it up, you get the team together, you explain what the heist is, what the barriers are. The team goes in, it all goes to crap. Uh, somehow, at least one person makes it out alive with the the MacGuffin or the money or whatever it is. But it's an hour until we get into Las Vegas, and then we have to deal with, uh, you know, the this this whole subplot in the basically an internment camp. And this is like this is one of the things that really irked me about it. It's like Zack Snyder is trying to be political, but he's just so bad at it. He's trying to do allegories, and he. he doesn't understand subtlety um and so like clearly this this whole camp with survivors from las vegas it's meant to be you know an allegory to um you know border detention facilities with um uh, undocumented immigrants on the u.s southern border doesn't quite stick i mean you get the the the, the theo rossi the psycho um <laughs> basically ice agent um, abusing his power, that doesn't quite stick because as soon as they, he goes with them into Las Vegas, I'm like, oh, he's dying first. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, that was very clear. <laughs> there were a lot of deaths that were um, so so telegraphed. Like there were there were mm-hmm. no surprises in this film, no, no surprises whatsoever. Um, and uh, and I'll say, you know, I have uh, you you've touched on a couple of my notes from the film. specifically yeah the length there were so many times in the film that like everything stopped including the characters to turn and face each other and have important heart-to-heart conversations and i was like you are in the middle of a a heist b a zombie infected city you don't have time like the two characters are standing there at the generator they have one job and it's to turn on the generator Mm-hmm. They take five minutes once they get to the generator to talk about about why they became estranged. I'm like, what is everybody else doing while you guys are having this heart to heart? You're supposed to start the generator so that people can actually get to their jobs. This is ridiculous. And that was only the most egregious of of those. Pretty much every single character had a part where they took an extensively long time to have a heart-to-heart with someone while not actually doing the thing they're supposed to do. To the point where uh, Dave Bautista's character, they they lay out, okay, we're running out of this room, we're running to that elevator, don't stop for anything. What is the very first thing they do? They run out of the, the door, stop, and start shooting at the zombies. I'm like, yeah, you literally just said, we run out this door, run for that elevator, don't stop for anything. And the first thing you did was stop. There are definitely some pacing problems. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the refugee camp thing. I just could not understand. Like, <laughs> who who are these people refugees from? Like, these, yeah. it's been six years. These are the people who have, who exited Las Vegas before you closed it off. Okay. Why, like... Maybe I'm a little naive, but mm-hmm. why are they living in a refugee camp right around the quarantine zone? Like, why haven't they just moved to other parts of the country? And yeah. sure, some of them may have, you know, they don't have family or, or whatever, but it, 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 yeah, it seemed like a stretch to me <laughs> that there would be that many people. And then I, of course, didn't understand what any of them go back into Vegas for. 
Right. That there's and, a coyote who is in yeah. the business of like ferrying people in and out of the yeah. the exclusion zone. Yeah. It's weird. And so one of the characters wants to go in because she wants to get paid. I'm like, well, what do they get paid for? What do they bring <laughs> back out? Like, well, I don't understand. So that was just very, uh, yeah, as, as you say, uh, I think tried to make a political statement, but um, I, I don't believe, I, I, yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. did not work. It did not work. There were a lot of things about this film that did not work. However, uh, you know, the action of it, and mm-hmm. it, you're right. I mean, there's nothing new in this film, in mm-hmm. the zombie thing, as it turns out. You know, the heist was just barely a heist um Mm -hmm. but the action was fun and so uh, i'll you know i did enjoy watching the film (laughs) well the the weird part is they get to the vault um with all the money in it that they're supposed to um smuggle out and this is supposed to be the high tension scene this is like the the first Mission Impossible movie where they have to break into the like the information vault at CIA headquarters and Tom Cruise has to dangle above as the guy barfs in the bucket and all that. It's just they get to the vault and it goes pretty smooth. And it's like, no, you don't have you ever seen a heist movie? Getting to the heist is the easy part. The heisting part is where things start blowing up, so to speak. But let me let me let me see your uh father daughter tar talk at the generator because i feel like that's Zack snyder working through some things mm. um i mean i don't think it's a coincidence fair. that absolutely fair. yeah that that it's a father with with an adult daughter and they're estranged i i feel like there's something autobiographical going there but of course it's Zack snyder so we whatever he's feeling doesn't necessarily come across um there's a moment later on where uh two uh, one character confesses her affection for another character, and my immediate thought was, "Oh, she's about to be fridged." And <laughs> what 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 happens? <laughs> like thirty seconds later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could have counted down the seconds. It was so obvious. Similarly, there is a character um, who's obviously up to shenanigans right mm-hmm. from the get go, um, and it was just like, oh, "Oh, okay." Like I I can understand that. I mean, maybe maybe Snyder thought that he was um, he was being ex- like the opposite of tropey by putting the tropey guy, like the company mm. man that you're not supposed to trust, in there, and mm. then eventually he actually ends up, you know, being a good guy. He's like, well, that's the trope, so I'm going to go the opposite. Mm-hmm. Except, except that then it's just like, yeah, so exactly what I thought was going to happen is what what happened. <laughs> Yeah, let me, let me just say, I thought Garrett Dillahunt was very good playing Paul Reiser from Aliens. Yes. Uh, but, I mean, that's kind of the problem <laughs> with all of this, is that um, there comes to a point where it just seems like Zack Snyder is like, ah, eh, screw it, I'm just going to rip off Aliens for the rest of the movie. Um, there's even a line that the coyote says, where she's like, you don't see the zombies screwing each other over for profit. Which is almost verbatim what Ripley says to Paul Reiser in in Aliens uh, when he tries to um, get the facehuggers to impregnate Ripley and Newt uh, so that they could sneak the embryos into quarantine or past quarantine in Aliens. It's like, 
you know, Zack Snyder, I expect this from Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> Just like the blatant ripoff of, like, other good movies. And I cut him some slack because he's Paul W.S. Anderson. He's not Zack Snyder with the Zack Snyder nation behind him and, like, infinite budgets. It's do better. Do better, bro, is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I mean, let's talk about the Zack Snyder nation with infinite budgets. Mm-hmm. So Zack Snyder was was just, uh, you know, I don't want to say he was ever like an indie filmmaker, but, you know, mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead came out and he was like, whoa, who's this guy? This new up and comer. Um, 300. And then he'd made that owl movie, right? And then Guardians Sucker of Punch. Gahooli, yeah. Yeah. And then Sucker Punch, which... You know, Sucker Punch, I think, was was him absolutely just getting to, like, create something on his own. Like, Dawn of the Dead was was a remake. So, mm-hmm. of course, he had to sort of, you know, draw within certain lines. And then he got to a place where he, you know, had a, enough sort of street cred because of this interesting, unique visual style of his that he got to make Sucker Punch. And everybody went, well, what the heck was that? Huh? <laughs> that was not good. And as I've made very clear, I love it. It's my favorite Zack Snyder film. I love Sucker Punch. It has a million and a half flaws. That's fine. Um, but then he got the the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Who knows how? I seem to remember even at the time it was kind of like, oh, really? That guy, huh? Interesting. <laughs> um, and he made it according to his sort of vision. And he created... Like, I really sort of think that the Snyder fan base is really just the DCEU fan base. Like, mm. I, I don't think that that it was ever really about Zack Snyder for them. It just became that during the whole Justice League debacle. And mm-hmm. or uh, and not even, I think, at the time. If I re- recall at the time, mm-hmm. there were some troubles on set already. And people were sort of saying, you know, maybe this isn't the right guy to do this. Mm-hmm. The last films, you know, had problems. And then Joss Whedon came in and, you know, I think a lot of people were like, oh, okay, great. You know, he did a really great job with these things. He's going to fix this up. Okay. And it's only been sort of in the last two years, maybe three years, that people have started to, like, clamor for the mm. Zack Snyderverse. Um mm. So, you know, I think that there are people who will watch this film who have never seen any of his films that aren't DC Universe. So when we talk about, you know, he's given this unlimited budget and he's this this guy that everybody reveres or something, I, I don't think that the average watcher n- knows a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Sucker Punch, just for a sec, because I mean, I think that's it, it's 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 integral because it's like his only kind of other original sort of thing that came from his his own head. Um, it is, I mean, I think my my like too long didn't read review of Sucker Punch is like that meme of Krusty the Clown reacting to the worker in Parasite cartoon. You know, just what the hell was that? Um, but the thing with Sucker Punch is. It is a mess. It makes no narrative sense at all. Um, <laughs> there are so many moments where the the female leads in 
in that are just being like completely exploited for their looks. But um, there's a lot to it. Like he's throwing a lot of stuff at the wall to see what works. But at the very least, there is like a visual, um, a visual palette to it that it, you can see it is being made by a singular artist. And whether that's like the sequence where it's like the steampunk World War One, or the that's kind of the only one I remember, <laughs> the only sequence I remember. <laughs> but but I mean, there's 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 uh, there's also like a feudal Japan one, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. But it's just like he's just like. I'm going to walk around Comic-Con and make some notes and turn it into a movie. And on that, like, just basic um, artistic level, I can let Sucker Punch slide as just, like, a work on its own. In, in that this is, this is a thing that could not have been made by anyone else. It is purely a Zack Snyder joint. Army of the Dead, it just... I feel like is so over the place. I feel like he had so much, so much he thought he had to prove. Um, You know, he's, he's got the studio off his back so he can, you know, go hog wild with his own vision. He's got the legacy of his Dawn of the Dead to live up to. Um, It's, you know, his first big post DCEU movie. Um, Plus he's trying to work into all these political allegories, you know, and, and, some of it is just like horrid. It is like the whole there, there's a, there's a line where somebody quotes the president, and you don't need to tell me that the president in this universe is still Donald Trump because it's pretty obvious from from the line <laughs> that it is. And of course, there's like a Sean Spicer cameo, and like I just yeah, it's egregious, and I wish he didn't do it, but whatever. Um, but then he falls into. First of all, he's he's the he's his own cinematographer cinematographer on this, which I feel like is a mistake because there's just nothing to the movie that really makes it visually stand out. This film really needed hit Larry Fong, who's his usual DOP. Um, the music choices in this were horrendous. Um, like there's a Junkie XL score, I couldn't remember like a single bar. Of, of it and that's like super unusual for me from a ju- like junkie xl is a pretty good composer but like the score is completely forgettable and then you have like there's a scene where scott the the dave patista character is like packing up his gear and it's like this like folksy version of bad mood rising playing and it's like i i know I, I, I clicked on this title netflix it's army of the dead i figure there's a bad moon rising but thanks for the extra wink. Just let me finish this one thing. The fact that they use the Cranberries zombie at the end, which is a song not about the living dead, but about their troubles in Ireland. Completely out of context, but it has the word zombie in it. Ergo, we use it in the zombie movie. I just, I don't know who was responsible for the music supervision on this film, but they should never work again. (laughs) Yeah. um, I don't, I mean, I definitely see where you're coming from. Um, And I certainly, I I definitely agree with the, the way to um, on the nose use of zombie by the cranberries. Uh, But the other, the other music choices to me felt like 
the the Snyderism he leaned the most into. I mean, it reminded me so much of The Watchmen. Just totally mm. incongruous music choices, right? They're mm. all lovingly packing up their their weapons, which the whole scene was weird to see how much these people loved their <laughs> weapons and the violence. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. This is why you guys are going back in there. Not for the money whatsoever. Got it. Um, but yeah, like every time one of those total weird tracks came in, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. This, this is Zack Snyder. This is where he's, he's putting some of his Snyderisms because I will say like the color palette, um, the excessive use of like slow-mo and, and that sort of stuff really Mm -hmm. didn't happen very much in this film. Mm-hmm. Which I appreciated. I I did like the color palette, and I think I I noted too that he was his own director of photography, and mm-hmm. then and I thought, well, that's interesting. And so I watched the film, and there were I, I would agree that there are no shots that were spectacular, um, or necessarily even interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. However, um, I did take the twenty minutes to watch the uh, making of. Um, a little documentary following the film. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they talked a lot about his doing the shooting himself. And I think that that, for him, is where he felt th- his most ability, like his most artistic freedom was in deciding to be his own DOP. And not particularly because he had, a, a, like, a vision of, like, great shots. But mm-hmm. um, he just really wanted to be in there you know it uh, as i'm listening to him it sort of felt like he was tired of making big studio movies he's like i have no like i he he was not in charge of anything anymore Mm. Mm. and so this way it's like not only do i get to make my own film and all this but i actually like get to be right there like on the ground working with all of the people um and then the choice too of of his lenses and he, they, you know, he talked about how not a single camera operator and none of the lenses, he's like, nobody's allowed to use F-stops mm-hmm. because he wanted everything to look out of focus. He wanted nothing but whatever was in the foreground to be in focus. And sometimes even whatever was in the foreground wasn't in focus mm. because he, that, like he purposely did not want things to be in focus, which I was like, well, that's, that's interesting. It's I mean, a choice. Yeah, it's a choice, right? And I was like, okay, I, I'm going to respect you for for choosing this. I did think it was funny when he said afterwards, the movie was way more in focus than I thought it was going to be. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, well, I bet other people will disagree with you. <laughs> but I would say that's sort of the one thing. Like, like I said, there weren't particularly good or interesting shots, but I do think... Um, that that decision to to keep things loose around the edges um, is an interesting decision, and and I certainly saw it on the screen. Um, and you know, did I feel it a little bit? I don't know. They were in Las Vegas. It's a desert. It's hot. They're always talking about like, you know, heat waves and things like that. So maybe I don't. I don't know. Mm. I mean, I appreciated it that it wasn't. Um, you know, 
while I really enjoy like 28 days later, 28 weeks later, th- that the super fast kind like pretty in focus zombies, like everything's just going wild all over the screen. Mm. I, I find I don't like necessarily. So, you know, I sort of appreciate it, I guess, a little bit more of the lush out of focusness. Mm. I that's I think that's all fair. I I I would <laughs> I would uh I, I counter the average viewer that right. uh, is going to appreciate it though. <laughs> right. And I would also counter that a 90 million dollar movie is uh small independent. Uh I mean, I guess maybe when you're used to making 300 million dollar things, it's But uh, the, the thing I I keep coming back to is there's a movie here that has a lot of interesting ideas that are not necessarily exploited very well. Like when they first enter Las Vegas, there, you know, there's this pile of zombies around the walls that are just like basically desiccated and dried out. And somebody makes the point. It's like, Oh, you should, you know, you should come back when it rains and uh, the zombies get moist again and they come back to life briefly. And I was like, Oh, that would be cool to see. And of course you never see it. There's this whole culture of like these alpha zombies, of uh, who, who have maintained some semblance of humanity, uh, to the point where like the King alpha zombie is like wearing like a metal helmet later in the film. And it's like, Oh, he gets it. Only the headshot can kill him. But then, you know, at, every opportunity he yanks the helmet off. <laughs> well, yes, there was the, um, and it's funny because you said aliens, but I did find out at one point, I was like, oh, it's the aliens versus predator fight right now. Got it. Right. Yeah, but they yeah, both yeah. sort of like disrobe or even, I guess, the predator to predator. Arnie to predator fight. Right. And I, and by and large, I thought it was a great cast. I like, uh, I like Dave Bautista a lot. He, um, I mean, he has big hulking presence, but he, he's also like, uh, there's something very intelligent about him. Not to say that other wrestlers aren't intelligent, but I mean, he's not playing up a persona the way Dwayne Johnson does or the way John Cena does. Like, he is capital A acting um, mm-hmm. when you see him. And I, I think it really shows. I liked, um, what's her name? Uh, Tegner. Tig Nataro as the the chopper pilot, she yeah. gets a lot of really great one-liners. I like the uh, the guy who's uh, Guzman of the Dead, this kind of guy who you know has become a YouTube celebrity for um, trick shooting zombies. Um, he he was a lot of fun, um, and I and I think that you know it. Again, it, it's nice that. Zack Snyder was able to sort of free himself. And again, like there are a lot, there's some great sequences. There's a sequence where they have to move through like a, this hallway of like hibernating zombies, um, you know, trying to make it through without waking them up. And, and like, that was really well done. There's just, I I wish the whole was as great as the sum of the part or the, the sum was as great as the parts. Like there's some really good ideas or some really great, actors um it just it it could have used um i guess a balancing hand and you know <laughs> to re- someone to remind zach's like uh say what you want about warner brothers 
but you know, a studio is there to kind of, and a producer is kind of there to shepherd a project in a way that stops a director from diving into their worst tendencies. And that's what Zack Snyder really desperately needed here was somebody who could like focus him. And, you know, people forget, yes, Scott, uh, Zack Snyder directed Dawn of the Dead, but James Gunn wrote it. And you can tell because that, that film has much more focus than a lot of the stuff where Zack Snyder is sort of the creative head. Zack Snyder was directing a James Gunn script, and that's why Dawn of the Dead um, works as well as it does. Yeah, yeah, I, I will definitely agree. Yes, he definitely needed um, a, a, a top-notch screenplay writer for, for this. Because, I, I mean, I agree. And, you know, I had fun watching it. Like I said, there are some pacing issues, but individually, lots of really great uh, and fun sort of scenes. The acting, you know, I, I would agree. The acting was really impressive. There are a number of people here I've never seen uh, before, but really quite um, enjoyed. And of course, uh, Tignataro was fantastic. And I think it's sort of important to note that um, most of her scenes were actually uh, uh refilmed and dropped in following the the film being made yes yes yes. because uh, she was actually replacing another actor who has had some um improprieties we'll say <laughs> very but diplomatic I think she was, yes <laughs> she was the right person to to do it though right because she i mean she was great and it's funny as i was watching it i was sort of wondering like how much of this was sort of rewritten for her and potentially like with her her writing it and how much of it was actually the script from before um and i i feel like it's entirely possible that that it's mostly all been sort of rescripted for her as well yeah it was it was so her voice um Because there's a scene where she gets to the roof and finds the old helicopter there and she sees it and and she's just like, so he spent the whole, all the money on building that stupid model. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. I laughed a lot at that one. (laughs) And then there's a scene where uh, the King Alpha zombie like bursts out onto the roof and and she just goes, is that zombie wearing a cape? (laughs) Which is, it's just, she's, uh, she's so brilliant. Yeah. It's, I, I think I mean, first of all, um, smart move, um, bringing her in and replacing um, the the person who uh, has been rightly ostracized from the movie. But I mean, also, why wasn't she in the movie in the first place? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of ever since the the trailer came out too, and I like I said, I didn't really actually watch the trailer until after I said I I wanted to review this film, but I certainly saw screenshots of of Tignataro from the trailer but when it was released i just saw a lot of of twitter people going let's recast chick nataro in every movie and then, you know showing <laughs> showing pictures of her in in different scenes um and then of course the whole like chick nataro uh you know recast in every tom cruise movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was great she was very good <laughs> yeah it's i i i wish I wish the screenplay had been a bit more focused. I wish he had shaved, let's say, 40 minutes off the running time of 
would have been happier with 50. But I mean, when even like there's a point in the film where someone gets the karmic death that is coming to them. And even I was even that went on too long. And I'm like, that this is this is a real yep. problem if the this horrible person is getting what's coming to them and you're looking at your watch tapping it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely made a note here. Uh, this this scene is gross and unnecessary. <laughs> and, like, obviously, this person, yes, deserved to die. Um, but I was just like, you know, they could have just they could have just dispatched with the person and be done with it. Like, this is this is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I felt no catharsis watching it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I do just... want to say. Yes. Zombie horse, however. Zombie horse was good, yes. That it was, was good, but also like a is is he like, you know, Tignataro's character, uh Peters, is like, is that zombie wearing a cape? And I'm like, is that zombie riding a horse? <laughs> Why have we never seen this before? <laughs> uh well I would point out that um the white the the head white walkers in Game of Thrones r- rode zombie horses, so that's another little Zack Snyder, I'm gonna borrow that item. So. Well, there you go. See, and I didn't watch any of that show. All right. I guess we'll have to leave it there. Candace, if people want to talk more zombie talk or whatever, how can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me everywhere on the internet at sin48, that's C-I-N-N-4-8. And if you follow me on Letterboxd, you'll notice that I actually watched Train to Busan for the first time on Friday night and then watched Army of the Dead on Saturday night. And I had to try really hard to not let <laughs> watching Train to Busan affect my opinion of Army of the Dead. But I got to say, it was tough. You know, why didn't you just like watch, you know, The Departed on Friday and then watch like Police Academy 6 on Sunday? It just, you know, you it might was as well an accident. set yourself up for disaster. But yeah. I, di- I digress. <laughs> And that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it, and if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. Download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for all the music that you hear here on End Credits, just search for End Credits on CFRU in your Spotify app. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show or on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I will be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph, and that is with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can find my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. We will be back, of course, next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another episode of End Credits, and we will see you then.